Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 14th edition of WorkCop Academy Weekly News. I'm Bob Nichols, Senior Trial Attorney with Floyd, Skerrin, and Kelly. Caution, you are about to enter the workers' compensation zone. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new WCAB panel decision discusses the effects of an MPN notice sent to an injured worker who cannot read or write English or Spanish. In the decision of Gabriela Rodriguez versus Grimway Enterprises, the applicant sustained an industrial injury to her left knee and psyche, causing temporary disability, permanent disability, and a need for further medical treatment. She received medical treatment for several years from numerous physicians, most recently a Dr. Silver. The parties utilized panel utilize panel doctor Daniel Ovadia as an agreed medical examiner in orthopedic surgery. Dr. Ovadia recommended arthroscopic surgery and referred applicant to Dr. Silver for that purpose. The employer issued written MPN notices to the applicant with copies to her attorney and Dr. Silver that the employer was implementing an MPN. The employer then issued a written notice to applicant with copies to her attorney and Dr. Silver that the applicant was being transferred into the MPN. Both notices were written in English and in Spanish and met all legal requirements. The employer then notified the applicant in writing that it scheduled an appointment for her with Christopher Combs, MD, a physician within the defendant's MPN for medical evaluation and treatment. The record does not reflect that the applicant, her attorney, or Dr. Silver responded to the notices. The matter proceeded to trial on the applicability of the MPN and the transfer of applicant's care. Applicant testified that she can write her name, but that she cannot read or write in either Spanish or English, and that she never went to school. The work comp judge found that because, of ap because applicant could not read or write, defendant did not meet its MPN notice requirements, but the WCAB disagreed and granted reconsideration. The WCAB concluded that there is nothing in the rules or case law requiring defendants to determine applicants' literacy. They further noted that at all times her attorney was available to handle whatever needed to be done since he was copied with all the letters. Applicants' attorney should have, in fact, contacted Dr. Silver under Rule 9767.9G. Another recent WCAP panel decision considered an employer's contention that a request for treatment authorization by a physician who was not the treating physician did not trigger their obligation to get a spinal surgery second opinion or conduct UR of the consulting doctor's reporting recommendation for spinal surgery. The employer was wrong in this regard. In Nancy Andrews versus the law offices of Kenneth Reynolds, the employer sought reconsideration of an award of spinal surgery recommended by Dr. Anderson who performed a neurological neurosurgical, I'm sorry, consult. At the time, the primary treating physician was a Dr. Shin. Now earlier, a spinal surgery second opinion was obtained from Dr. Pappas, who recommended that applicant lose weight and then undergo surgical procedures. The injured worker complied with the doctor's recommendation and lost weight. The consulting physician then injured, issued a neurosurgical follow-up report and requested authorization for the same surgery which had been recommended by the spinal surgery second opinion report. The employer did not timely initiate utilization review or the second opinion process, claiming that since Dr. Anderson was not a treating physician, they did not have to have these reviews. The trial judge disagreed and ordered the surgery. 
The WCAB denied the employer's petition for reconsideration. Labor Code Section 3209.3 includes no reference to treating physician of record or the primary treating physician. Thus, defendant's UR obligations are not confined to the treating physician of record or the primary treating physician. The obligations extend to all treatment recommendations by all physicians, which is, in this case, included the consulting doctor's treating recommendations. Similar reasoning applies to the second opinion process because the language of Labor Code Section 4062 includes no reference to treating physician of record or to primary treating physician. And now our fraud report. Winning. In Kern County, prosecutors are actively prosecuting fraud cases, as you probably have read, and they claim more so than in most counties across the straight, the state. Uh, in Kate Zimmerman, deputy district attorney, reported that last year, Kern County had already increased felony filings by 40% over the prior year. And last year, they had more than one new case every week. It's a lot of cases. Zimmerman said they are going to surpass that this year, taking on two new cases each week. Very aggressive in that county. In Monterey County, prosecutors seem quite active as well. The proprietors of two Monterey County tire stores were fined, placed on probation, and ordered to serve brief jail sentences on charges of failure to secure workers' compensation insurance and failure to pay payroll taxes. Esteban Cruz, owner of the Seaside Tire and Rim, and Michael Schreiber, owner of California Auto and Tire in Salinas, each received three years probation. Cruz was ordered to serve 30 days in county jail or complete an alternative work program and pay fines of more than $2,500 with an additional $8,500 suspended during the term of his probation. Schreiber received a five-day jail sentence with the option of completing an alternative work program and was ordered to pay fines of more than $3,000 with an additional $7,500 suspended during probation. <clears throat> Excuse me. A Modesto painter pleaded guilty to a charge of failure to secure workers' compensation insurance while under contract to paint the Wiener Schnitzel restaurant on South Main Street in Salinas. Jesus Garay was sentenced to 30 days in Monterey County Jail, placed on probation for three years in order to pay more than $1,500 in fines, with an additional $8,500 in fines suspended during the term of his probation. And there was fraud activity in San Bernardino County, too, as there is everywhere. A 45-year-old San Bernardino woman was arrested on three counts of suspicion of felony workers' compensation fraud. Authorities arrested Elaine Aragon at her home, and she was booked at the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Central Detention Center. Aragon, who was employed by the County of San Bernardino's Transitional Assistance Department, allegedly filed a fraudulent workers' compensation claim. And during a deposition, investigators claimed she made statements that were inconsistent with the evidence. Her bail was set at $75,000. Aragon no longer works for the department, as you can imagine. A major SCIF criminal probe has ended with no charges being filed against anyone. The state has closed its four-year investigation against Shasta Builders, Exchange CEO Kent Dagg and other former state compensation insurance fund employees. Four state and local agencies launched a 
confidential criminal investigation against Dag and others in 2007 for alleged mishandling of the public money at the state fund. The California Highway Patrol, the California Department of Insurance, and the California State Tra Franchise Tax Board conducted the state fund investigation of Dag and other former state fund board members and employees with the San Francisco DA. CHP officers searched Builders Exchange headquarters in June 2009 as part of that investigation. Dag said that 10 officers also raided his West Reading home, holding him at gunpoint and handcuffing him while they searched. No charges were filed against anyone, said the spokesman for the district attorney's office in San Francisco. Now, Dag said he never knew exactly why he was under investigation or who initiated it. Dag was always denied those accusations, saying he resigned after accomplishing his goals on the state fund board. Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger appointed Dag to the state fund board of directors in 2004. Dag served until late 2006 when he resigned amid conflict of interest allegations. And now our medical report. Medical treatment in California workers' compensation must now meet standards of treatment guidelines supported by high-quality science. This is important. However, not all articles published in medical journals meet acceptable scientific standards. According to a new study reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, scientists who review large sets of drug trials for medical journals often ignore financial conflicts that might bias their judgment. And I'm sure you've heard of these things. Experts say that this is more than just an academic problem. Officials say it influences how physicians make decisions and how guideline panels come up with their guidelines. The research team found that of 29 reviews or meta-analyses of drug trials culled from top journals, only two reported who had funded the original trials included in the review, and none of the reviews mentioned whether the authors reporting on those trials had been paid by drug makers. Such financial ties have been linked to research inflating the benefits of new drugs and downplaying the risks. Many medical journals now require authors to declare who funded their study and whether they have any financial conflict of interest, which is a very crucial point. The research team found that more than two-thirds of the original drug trials that ended up being included in the 29 reviews were funded by pharmaceutical companies. But most of the time, those financial disclosures got lost in the reviews. Amazing, isn't it? California workers' compensation regulations implementing the labor code requirements for evidence-based medicine are consistent with the mandate to consider bias as one element in ranking the quality of medical science. Section 9792.25 of the regulations on the topic of presumption of correctness, burden of proof, and strength of evidence sets forth a scheme for ranking the quality of medical science and studies used to resolve disputes in medical treatment. Uh, table A of this regulation sets forth criteria used to randomize controlled trials. One of the 12 criteria listed in this table requires a score for lack of bias. This is a score is an overall indication of the degree to which biases are felt to be present in the study. Section 35.5 of the new QME regulations provide that an AME or QME can no longer resolve treatment disputes without discussing the quality of the medical science supporting their opinion, including a ranking of the science under this regulation. Claims administrators should make certain that evaluators comment on the presence or absence of bias 
on the part of authors published medical studies. A new CWCI study shows that about 3% of workers' comp physicians prescribe more than half of all opiates. Recent studies have documented the rapid growth and widespread use of Schedule II opioids medications in the treatment of workers' compensation injuries. These narcotic drugs are controlled substances with a very high potential for abuse or addiction. They have limited FDA-approved medical issues. The new CWCI study analyzes the prescribing patterns of California workers' compensation medical providers who write Schedule II prescriptions. The study documents a viral-like growth in these medications and workers' compensation treatment. Notably, the study finds that the top 3% of the physicians who prescribe Schedule II opioids write more than half of the prescriptions and are associated with two-thirds of all Schedule II opioid payments in the system. And the top 1% of the injured workers who are prescribed Schedule II opioids consume 25 times the morphine equivalents of the average injured worker who was prescribed this type of medication. The sample also noted that almost half of Schedule II opioid prescriptions, more than half of the payments are for claims involving minor back problems, a treatment regimen that the ACOM describes as typically not useful in the subacute and chronic phases. Does this look familiar to all of you and sound familiar to all of you? Concern over inappropriate use of Schedule II drugs has reached a tipping point and action to improve oversight and management of opioid-based pain management therapies is planned at both regional and national levels. And in regulatory news, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce just published a 116-page research document on the impact of state employment policies on job growth. This was a 50-state review comparing employment policies of each of the states. California was placed in the lowest tier and was considered poor in terms of business climate. The report claims that some of the reasons for job growth problems in California are as follows. California has some of the most complex labor and employment laws in the nation, and many of the requirements imposed on employers differ significantly from federal law. California is unique in its hostility to non-competition agreements and narrowly tailored restraints on competition are not only unenforceable in California, but can also be considered unfair business practices. The state has a higher minimum wage than federal requirement and complex wage and hour laws that do not follow federal standards. California has tougher white collar exemption rules as compared to federal law. And more detailed payroll record keeping and pay stub requirements and stricter rules against deductions from paychecks and unique meal period break and rest break rules. The California law requiring advance notice for layoffs and plant closings is broader in scope than federal requirements. California has tough restrictions on screening job applicants and employees and steeper remedies for violations with unlimited punitive damages. Now, California exceeds federal requirements in terms of non-discrimination prohibitions with numerous additional classes covered. The state also has unusually strict requirements on drug testing of employees. California has many privacy-based labor code provisions, including a ban on using arrests, not resulting in conviction, and certain types of convictions in hiring and employment decisions. 
The state also has tough restrictions on employer use of consumer credit and background reports in making hiring decisions, among other limitations. California also has a relatively high private sector union membership rate of 9.5% and a public sector unionization rate of 56.6%. It is hoped that California government will work aggressively toward improving the state reputation in the business community. And now in other news, and now we have workers' compensation, the sitcom. Morgan Fairchild and Jenna Elfman are co-starring in Workers' Comp, an independent comedy plot about a family-run insurance company that handles all kinds of weird claims. Also in the cast is Robert Carradine from Revenge of the Nerds. Filming of the pilot gets underway April 10th in Florida. The script is based on real-life workers' compensation claims, and I'm sure we all have claims that would make good storylines for this series. So if you have them, submit them. That's all our news for, and events for this week. Please check with our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for Work Comp Academy in the iTunes Store. And one last personal comment I'd like to make. I think at this moment, this time, we should all keep in our prayers and our hearts the people of Japan who are suffering so much for the tragedy in their country. Again, I'm Bob Nichols, Senior Travel Attorney with Floyd, Skerrin & Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Have a nice day.